0: Welcome to Life Point Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Uh, my name is Zach, one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And part of my role at LifePoint is to help our church establish our vision. And that's a fancy word for saying where we're going in the long term. And so this morning is an important morning for us to review where we've been and where we're headed. And so I thought I'd bring a whiteboard. (laughs) Some of you are getting nervous about that. Here's the reason I bring a whiteboard. It's because this whiteboard I built with my hands along with Russ Rhodes so that our vision would become visible at every meeting in our church. And that means every staff meeting, every elder meeting, The most important meetings of the key leaders of our church have this visible in front of them every single week to make sure we understand who we are and where we're headed as a church. And here's my vision board. I've even got a pocket version of it that every staff member has on their desk. It's much smaller. I almost made them have this, but I thought that'd be a little much. So this is who we are as a church and this is where we are headed in the next four years. We've said we have a four-year vision and we've called Next Steps 2026, and we call it a 4-3-2-1 vision. That means in four years, we want to see our church engage three new nations. We want to engage two new neighbors, and we want to see one transformed neighborhood. And I want to share, we've made some progress we're one year into a four year vision. This is like quarter one of an NFL game. You get the quick commercial break and we're gonna chat real quick and make sure our game plan's still moving forward. We're making progress. I'm happy with, with quarter one. Our defense is doing good. We could shore up our offense, get our running game moving. A couple things to celebrate today would include our goal of sending three new global partners out into the world. Just, just wrap your brain around what we've done. Someone who is belonged and born and raised in the United States, homegrown in our church, has been so captivated by Jesus' great commission that you just heard that they said, I'm going to sell most of my possessions. I'm going to leave everything that is familiar. I'm going to get on a plane and raise money to be pretty broke the rest of my life and live in a culture where there are less than 1% of the entire population that are actually Christians. I'll be isolated and alone, and then I'm gonna start to learn a brand new language all so that I can give my life that a new nation and a new group of people would come to know Jesus. We don't have a small vision. We have a big vision. And so, when Davida Freeman, here's her picture, moves to Japan, is commissioned from the stage, and finally, just a few Sundays ago, in her language training, is able to share and read the scripture at her church, just like Connie, but she did it in Japanese. And this is her homework, and her homework looks hard. <laughs> that's just John 15. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And that's a bunch of. Gibberish over on the other side. We don't have a small vision. That's one person's life sold out for Jesus. And I'm praying boldly for two more. Two more. We're one year in. How are we doing, team? Quarter one. We've also been making progress. We want to see a transformed neighborhood, not just the nations, right here. God has us as a physical location in this neighborhood for a reason. And so we have even started gauging our neighbors. We want to reach them. Our grant team has been working their tails off. I see you, Chad. I see you, Ross. You guys have been working so hard. We went door to door to hundreds of doors all around our neighborhood for multiple weeks, engaging our neighbors, bringing them to a neighborhood block party that hasn't happened in this neighborhood in decades. No one can remember the last neighborhood block party, but we said, LifePoint's going to host it. We're going to start it and we had over 30 of our non-Christian neighbors show up to our block party to hear about God's heart for this neighborhood and that we wanna change this backyard. And so we've got our design plans, we want our grant. You can see in the next picture our lovely UFO photo because our irrigation system creates these crop circles. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's better, that's better. And we're working on phase one right now. We just submitted our next grant. We're hoping for big money for phase number two to help implement that grant together. We're making progress, this is our vision. Next Steps 2026, and our first year was spent focused on the theme of bold prayer because when you start a vision that's bigger than you, you better pray, you better pray. So that's where we've been, and where are we going this year? What's quarter two like for the football team here? What's our game plan? And I have brief time. So I am going to introduce a concept today and I guarantee you will be left today with questions. And I hope you will. Because I'm gonna introduce a concept that we are going to unpack and learn and grow together over the next year of where we're headed as a church in year two of our vision. Our mission as a church comes from Jesus' words in Matthew 28. the great commission you just heard it and we have contextualized that sentence the great commission for life point church in 2023 in fort collins colorado and we say it this way on our mission life point church exists to glorify god and make gospel driven disciples because jesus told us to do that and we do that by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. That's our mission. It's the point of why the church exists. So that bears two really critical questions, doesn't it? First, what is a disciple? And second, how are they made? Don't you feel how critical this is? This is what our whole church exists for. But what is a disciple and how are they made? Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you're thinking, what an elementary question. It's so rudimentary, it's basics. But I want you to think about it. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, I want you to imagine you have a neighbor, maybe an extended family member, maybe this Thanksgiving when that uncle shows up and you're having a conversation over Turkey and he's asking you why you're a Christian and he's not. And you you share why you're a Christian, and he asks you about the church, and what is this church thing all about? And you say, because you heard Zach say, Oh, we exist to make disciples. And you get that answer right. And then your non-believing uncle leans in over the turkey and he says, What is a disciple? What would you say? And then maybe if he was bold enough, he might even then ask, okay, if your church exists to make disciples, how do you make them? What do you do at LifePoint to make disciples? What would you say? Since it's the great commission of Jesus, I think we should all have an answer, don't we? And I want us to have an answer that's informed from the Bible. Because here at LifePoint, we value scripture so much that we say we start and stay with scripture. So I'm not gonna just answer from my back pocket. I'm gonna go to scripture and try to tell us what is a disciple and how are they made? Open your Bibles to the Great Commission. This is the end of the Gospel of Matthew. The red words in your red letter Bible and they're the last words of Jesus before he ascends. These are important words. Jesus says this, because I died and three days later rose from the grave, conquering death itself. I've got some authority. I've got a right to tell you what you should be about now. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There's that word. That's a Greek word right there, because this was written in a different language originally. Mathetis. And if you went to a Greek dictionary, you just wanted to find out what is a disciple, that's a good place to start. What's a disciple? If you went to the DBL and saw how that Greek word is defined, you would see things like this. How do you define disciple? A disciple could be described as a follower, a pupil, a student, one tutored. And it's most basic. A disciple is simply a learner. That's all a disciple is. It's someone who learns. Now there's a particular kind of learning that a disciple is because it's not just like a CSU student and I'm not, I'm not ragging on CSU students. I love you. But, but if you gotta be honest, if you're a learner at CSU and you're in Calc one newsflash, you're not going to use calculus in a couple years. I really, I, has anyone taken a differential recent, recently or done an integral? Nobody, nobody? No, okay. There's one, I saw a hand. Okay. I see that. I see that you engineer. All right. <laughs> Most of us won't. And that's not the kind of student that a disciple is. Sit in a lecture hall, retain enough information to pass a test and then completely forget about it. That's not the learner of the Greek word mathetes. It's not what it means. So we've got this cultural issue. How do we define it today? A better word might be, in our culture today, it might be apprentice. A disciple is an apprentice. Kind of like how a apprentice carpenter wants to learn from a master carpenter. An apprentice can't just pass a quick test because they have correctly identified the different distinct types of wood. That's useless as a carpenter, you see his learning must be applied learning in life. When an apprentice carpenter learns from a master carpenter, the point is that he can build a beautiful white oak dining table. That's the kind of learning that the Greek word mathetes is pointing to a disciple is someone who is a lifelong learner underneath a new master, a new master not just a professor in Calc 1. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3.10, he says this, this is the NIV translation to make it even more clear. I want to know Christ. Do you hear that? That word means learn. Same verb as disciple. I want to learn Christ, just like a disciple learns Jesus. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, listen to this, not just passing the exam, but becoming like him in his death. That's a learner, an apprentice of Jesus says, you are my master and I want to become more like you. And that's the other reason why, Zach's favorite vision board, here we go. I feel Vanna Whitey this morning. Okay, here we go. We've got our measures right here. There's a reason that our mission is attached to a measure. We're measuring whether or not we're successful. And it turns out it's not just attendance and whether we have a big building and whether we have cash, those don't matter. This matters. Are we making and nurturing nurturing genuine disciples of Jesus? And we've put a bullseye on defining that by saying disciples here are going to become like Jesus in three critical ways. They're going to become like Jesus in their heads, in their hearts, and in their hands, all three ways. And so this is what it looks like. If you wanna become an apprentice of Jesus, when you first say, I want a new master, I wanna become a learner of Christ, you have some things that you need to learn in your head, knowledge, and that comes to us through the revealed knowledge of the word of God. This is God speaking to us. And so a brand new learner of Jesus would have to learn about what God is like, and what is sin, and how is someone saved, and where is history heading towards, and what is forgiveness. They have to learn. But if they stopped there and passed Calc 1, because they could answer correctly what forgiveness is on a test, they're not a disciple. They're a CSU student. And you've missed the mark. And that's why we've said it's not enough to sit in church and listen to sermons. You have got to take that thinking in your head and move it into your heart. You see, a follower of Jesus who's mastered by him doesn't want to just answer correctly what forgiveness is. They want to have a heart that desires to forgive. Oh, well, that's harder, isn't it? That's being mastered by Jesus so that my heart's transformed. And even if you got there, if you had your heart and your head wrapped around forgiveness, that wouldn't be enough because Jesus, apprentice, a disciple, uses hands and acts on that so that when you're wrong, oh, and it's bad. Oh, they got you. Good. Not only do you know what forgiveness is, not only do you desire to forgive, but you actually do it you forgive, now you're a disciple. Thanksgiving dinner, your uncle asks, what is a disciple? Try this, if I could summarize. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, an apprentice seeking to become more like their master, Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Quick question, because I have to keep moving. Based on that definition, are you a disciple? Are you just a CSU student trying to pass the test? Forget about Calc 1? I'm asking very pointedly, because if you're a guest this morning, I love that you came. You came on a great morning, because you know what we're all about. And I just want to make really clear, this not, might not be the church for you and that's okay, but I will bleed and sweat and work long hours so that our church does that. That's what we're about here. And if you're not about that, that's okay. That's okay. There's other shows. You can go somewhere else, but here at LifePoint, if you belong here, you will be helped to grow and become a disciple of Jesus. That's why we exist, and that's what we're about. So, uncle at the Thanksgiving table, how then do we make them? If that's a disciple, how do we make a disciple? That's an important question. I'm helped by a fantastic pastor in Australia, seen him in person. I took our whole staff to a conference in Denver seven or eight years ago. You've seen this book before, but I wanna give credit to Tony Payne. This is Trellis in the Vine. Hopefully you've seen it before. We've even had a discipleship training module on this book and much of the content I'm gonna share now comes from this book. What is disciple making? Part of the problem with that phrase disciple-making or discipleship is that that phrase doesn't occur in the Bible ever. It's not here. If you look at the English Bible, the, the, the word discipleship doesn't exist. Now the, the reality, the content of discipleship is all over the New Testament, but the word doesn't. And so, and then we use it all the time here and we use it in really different ways and it's very confusing. So What is the process of disciple-making? Jesus himself uses a metaphor repeatedly for disciple-making. In fact, it's one of the most common phrases that he gives. It's all over the New Testament. He says it's a metaphor like a journey, a pilgrimage, or perhaps following him, a pathway of following him. Hear this. Here's a couple examples. Matthew 4. He calls his disciples, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. John 10, 27, my sheep know my voice and follow me. Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Are we catching the metaphor of a path, a journey, a pilgrimage? Paul. The author of most of the letters in the New Testament picks up on the same theme. And he says in Philippians 3, brothers, join in imitating me, following me. Keep your eyes on those who walk, path, according to the example you have in us. Or 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It's all over the New Testament. Do you see the metaphor John Bunyan carries this out in his famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. The nature of disciple-making is a metaphor. It's like a a journey, a path, a pilgrimage, and Jesus invites us to follow him. And so Tony Payne takes this same concept and he actually creates a disciple-making pathway, and I wanna flesh out what that looks like today. Oh, snap, you didn't know it did that. Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Tony Payne, in his book, Trellis and the Vine, defines disciple-making as a process along this pathway, and he unpacks it from Colossians 1. So I've got Colossians 1 on the screen behind me. Colossians 1, Paul begins with a prayer to disciples, Christians, and this is his prayer for them. He says, I want you to walk on this pathway, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, like doing the things that Jesus taught you. in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Be a learner of Christ, that's what a disciple is. And then he says this, he's qualified you for this inheritance to become saints in the light. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his son, where you become saints of light. So what are the steps along this pathway? Well, if disciple is a journey, it starts in darkness. And at some point, it moves to a new kingdom, the kingdom of his son, where we become saints of light. And the key difference, the only difference between this big side of the journey and this big side of the journey is the cross of Jesus Christ. At which point, a disciple says, I want a new master. I don't want to be a CSU calculus student anymore. I want to be mastered by Jesus. I want to know him. And through repentance and faith, I'm going to give my life to him. I want to become a disciple, a learner. At that point, that disciple, here's our cute disciple, who's walking along the path, steps over into a new kingdom of light. Now that's pretty basic. You got darkness and you got light. And you might ask if we're on a pilgrimage together, I'd like a few more mile markers, just like on a highway. I don't wanna drive through Kansas. There's not much to see and I don't know that I'm making progress. So let's have a little more markers to this and let's break this down into four stages that Tony Payne unpacks. He says people start over here in the first stage of disciple making is called engage, engage. That's where it begins. And we've done this, haven't we? Matthew five thirteen, Jesus says that his Christians, his followers should have salt and light in the world. That's engaging people who are far from God. So that could be as simple as talking to a mom at a park because your kids are playing together and you invite them to a cool auction at the church that night and somebody who's far from God gets engaged with a Christian in some kind of relationship. And it can happen when you're knocking door to door to throw a neighborhood block party at your church and you meet a wonderful young lady who is very excited about our project, wanted to come to the barbecue and let me know that she's pagan. And she wanted me to know, no, 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 you don't understand, I'm really pagan. Is it okay if I come to your church event? Yes, yes in fact that's why I knocked on your door because you live in the neighborhood and I I wanna do this together, would you partner with us? That's engaging people who are far from God. You can do it too and so does the church. Eventually when someone is engaged with a Christian in some way, we move to the next stage which is evangelism. Man, that's good handwriting, you can read that. Wow. All right. Oh, good. I got it up there. That's better. Evangelize. At some point, if you're going to make disciples, you have to open your mouth and speak, proclaim the truth. Why? Romans 10:14 says, how are they going to believe if nobody, nobody hears? And how are they going to hear if they don't have someone to preach? And how are they going to preach if they're not sent like Davida to Japan? At some point you got to open your mouth. You got to say you got to say this is my story. You know what? My testimony when you're at the dinner table and you invite your neighbor over and you're like, "Can I just share my story? You know, I'm a Christian for these reasons and here's the gospel." And you've just proclaimed the truth of the gospel. It can happen in Craig's office when Jesse is coming to him and learning about what the gospel is and Craig unpacks the truth that Jesus came to die for our sins and you can have hope and life in him and Jesse takes a step across the line. And it can happen when people stand up in church, but at some point you evangelize. Now this might take years. Somebody might hear the good news 17 times before they say, I'd like to become an apprentice of Jesus. He's my master, take me to the domain of light. But something amazing happens when you jump over that threshold. See, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus in John three and Jesus said, when you do this, you are born again. Not physically, not physically, but you are spiritually born again. You're a spiritual infant and infants need nourishment. And so when you're a baby Christian, we say we need to establish Christians at this stage. We cannot just clap for new Christians. They need disciple makers. They need people in their life. And so that's why Kara is meeting with Joyce. I see you guys, all right? You're not hiding. You're in the courtyard room and you're getting established in the faith. You're learning about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does Jesus say about forgiveness? And why does he say we have to forgive not seven, but 77 times? That's establishing baby Christians, and it's happening right here, and we're moving along the pathway, this person keeps moving, until finally, by the way, there's a lot of people here. By the way, there's too many people here. Oh, they got mean. <laughs> <laughs> because the next stage is equip. Equip. We don't just need to be established for four decades as a Christian. You've been drinking milk, you need some training. It's time to get into the game and start playing football. And that's the final stage equipped. That happens from Ephesians 4.11. God gave leaders in the church to equip the saints for ministry. We don't have a staff to do ministry for you. And by golly, I have stuck a flag in the ground. And I said, we will not hire anyone to take other people's joy of doing ministry. If you get a paycheck at this church, you will equip people to do ministry. You will not do it for them. I will die on that hill. (laughs) Because that makes your job too easy and because you miss out on the greatest joy of your life, to be a part of the mission of God. And so we're here to equip people. And that's why Davida is learning Japanese. And that's why she's been meeting with our global partnership team about strategies of how to do fundraising and what it's like to do cross cultural ministry, because she's getting equipped to use her gifts to be a disciple way over here and to reach back, grab the hand of someone else, and start pulling them forward. That's disciple making. two implications. Man, I'm out of time. What does this mean? First, disciple making then is simply the process of helping people take steps to the right. That's it. This isn't rocket science. It's pretty simple. We're helping people take steps to the right to become more like Jesus. That's implication one. Implication two, if that's all disciple-making is, that means anybody, I'm looking at you, anybody can help somebody take a step to the right. You can do this. In fact, we can all do this, can't we? So two questions I have for you to challenge you as I run out of time. First, where are you on this path? If I gave you a marker and you had to walk up here, where would you draw yourself? I'll give you a hint. I think a lot of us are here, and that's not a bad thing, unless you've been a Christian for five decades, and then that's a bad thing. Where are you? on the pathway? Second question, talk about this at lunch. Who's around you on the pathway? I'm talking like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Is there somebody in front of you on this pathway that you could be a Timothy and they could be your Paul and you could say, I wanna watch your way of life, I wanna see how you forgive so I can learn how to forgive because you forgive like Christ forgives. Do you have people next to you Are you in a life group? Are you linking arms and saying, let's be a community together and walk towards becoming more like Jesus? And finally, and most important, is anybody behind you? Christians rarely look backwards. Who's walking behind you? Are you here? If you just became a Christian, you are some of the best people to reach back here. You are on fire for Jesus. You know what it's like to walk in darkness. You're the best people who can reach back and grab somebody here and say, look, my life's changed. Come with me, I wanna teach you about Jesus. Where are you on the path? And who's around you? Let's pray. Father, I'm passionate because this matters. Lord, you know I've buried some good friends this year and I feel how short time is. And I only have so many words, and I have so many minutes and so many days on this earth, and I don't wanna waste any of them. I want it to matter. So please come impress upon us by your spirit whatever I have shared that is truth from your word, Carry it into our hearts and challenge us to be a people who are zealous for your glory and who are so radically loving that we'd be willing to risk just about anything to be able to help others know Christ and become more like him. So please, God, transform our church this year. Help us this year learn and grow to become a church who is all about your mission as we make disciples. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.